That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. Good to be here today. Glad you're here, too. If it's your first time here, welcome. You are in the right place. I promise you that. We got a great episode for you today. Lots of good things coming your way. I give a little shout out to my homies Humans all the way from Canada. If you like this intro song, check out Humans Music. Some very, very good, uh, very good dudes and great musicians as well. Our guest today is my new friend and recovery brother, Static. Super pumped to have him on the podcast today. Static is a professional guitarist and multi-instrumentalist, uh, best known for his 16 16 years in this in the band hours uh, he's also the owner and creator of noise room studio he's been in recovery since 2012 we're going to dive into that of course and then uh one of the things i'm really excited to talk about as well is he's an avid sober advocate and mentor uh, and he works with at risk youth for new york city-based organization road recovery so we're going to get into all that in just a minute but first be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can follow us on Instagram at That Sober Guy Podcast. Uh, you can check out the locals community. Uh, we've got a good sober community going on there. Lots of good people joining up. It's kind of like Instagram meets Patreon. Uh, so if you want to help support us and be part of a growing sober community uh, to help stay accountable and of course, have some fun because what the hell is recovery if you're not having fun? Uh, I'd love to have you join that right now. You can download the locals app or you can go to that sober guy podcast.locals.com. Both those links are in the show notes uh, as well. Uh, And then also, if you're interested, if it's early recovery, we have lots of good resources for you. There's some meetings, uh, of course, the podcast. uh, We have the locals, which I mentioned, locals group, um, all kinds of good stuff going on. We also have how to navigate the first 90 days of sobriety. Uh, I got together those 90 days are crucial, right? And, and, and we got together some doctors, some of my friends, some podcasters, uh, some people in recovery, and we just talked about it. What do the first 90 days look like? What worked? What didn't work? Uh, what did we learn in that experience? And uh, we have over 160 people who've taken the course. We've had lots of good feedback. Uh, you can go to that soberguy.com, click on courses there if you're interested in checking it out. Once again, all those links will be in the show notes today. All right, so all that stuff aside, I'm super pumped to have my buddy Static here today. Uh, We become new friends fast. He's a great dude. He is doing lots of good work, and uh, I'm excited to have him on the podcast, man. It's good to be here with you today, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm excited to be here with you. This is awesome. Yeah, dude. Good, good times, man. And um, I guess uh, well, we we met in uh, in a meeting, right? Lots of good Zoom meetings going on uh, these days, and so I want to encourage everyone out there, like, don't use the excuse like I did right at first, like I can't go to a in person meeting, so screw it, I'm not going, man. There's so much good stuff happening in some some Zoom rooms these days. But uh, um, what is going on with you? You're out in New York City. Um, you're doing all kinds of different things, serving all kinds of good stuff. Um, yeah, man. Good to have you on the podcast as well. Yeah, I'm excited. And I agree with you. Zoom is incredible. It has brought the world of recovery. Just it made it like this big. We're yeah. all in front of each other. We get to meet people from all these amazing places. It's like the it's it's just it's incredible. It's it, yeah. it couldn't have been any better solution. And it happened rather quick it in did. this time of you know, it was a it was a you know, we're a solution based program and I guess we found a solution together. <laughs> um, I live in the suburbs of New Jersey, although if I go to the top of a hill, I can see the New York skyline. So I have deer and turkey and an occasional black bear in my black back, black bear in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. But if I get on a train, I could be under Madison Square Garden in 40 minutes. Damn. So it's a great like blend. It's kind of like, I guess, living in the Hollywood Hills, maybe not as fancy. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, a big part of what I do um, previous to being virtual was working with at-risk youth. That's a great balancer. It, I found it in my sobriety that um, I wanted to help others. Um, and, in, and in the cool thing about being a professional musician was there's there's downtime. Yeah. And the downtime is when I was probably dancing with my demons prior. <laughs> but then when I found a different way to live, um, I had time to help others. And that's so I work, you know, I work with at-risk youth through an organization called Road Recovery, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. in New York City. 
And we would go to all these different spots. Like you would go work in Queens for a while. You would go to the Bronx. You would go to Lower Manhattan. And then they had some stuff in New York State. And if you felt like making the drive, you would do that. Or they would find just people like me or who, the rest of the staff to do those areas. And, um, you know, we went virtual. So now I get to work from home. <laughs> and and you can say, like, that part's awesome. I don't get to go anywhere, even though I miss being involved yeah. directly. But now we have no mileage. Yeah. So now we're easily reaching every kid that could be a part of it in right now it's all over new york state places that and if people aren't familiar new york state is giant yeah i mean it could take you know there's i think one section might be like a 12 i don't know there's like those lengths of new york state are far so it's not like let's get in a car and go to <laughs> rochester you know yeah right, yeah you got to drive a little bit what what is oh, yeah. the what's the what's the age group uh as far as the the kids go does it go like what does that look like so it, it varies as well because road recovery has a wide reach. And the one thing that's connected is, I know the word recovery is involved, but it's not about just alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Even though some of the staff members might have that in their story, the idea with young people is anybody that faces, faces an adversity. And adversity defines as many different ways. My actual way I connect mostly with young people isn't the sober story, even though they might find the music story exciting, yeah. is that I was later diagnosed with what I call differences in learning abilities, but is often used the term learning disabilities <laughs> into a aggressive 15 yeah. year old dude in the early 90s. That was me. When teachers told me that after calling me lazy, mm. it became a big point of anger and frustration. And I kind of combated even that they wanted to help me. Hmm. So, and it does tie into my using story, but it, so that's an adversity I get to relate to the young people with is like trouble in school, trying to communicate maybe how something's going. They might not have the same issues as I had with dyslexia and et cetera, et cetera, but everybody has that moment where you don't communicate just right with, yeah. an, and I don't want to call a teacher an authority figure, but when you have the wrong teacher, they might feel like an authority figure. Sure. Yeah, sure. they're not helping you on a journey. So yeah. that's a way we connect. Um, and then there's like the ones that are that tra that help affect young people. Often are you know it could be eating disorders, it could be youth that do uh, that have self harm, um, grew up in home situations that aren't necessarily safe or um, inspiring. Uh, yeah. And you could almost list it all. And then we work with those kind of youth, and that could be from any age, from depending on what cycle or what we're with could be as young as eight or nine and as old as like 22. Wow. Um, and then there's a component where we worked with alternative to incarceration. Um, New York State was trying to really do this whole campaign, raise the age, because there were 16-year-olds going to Rikers Island. Damn. And crazy. Um, there's very few things you could do at 16 years old that should put you in that level oh, yeah. of incarceration. So they have alternative to incarceration programs. They have when people get out on a short... Uh, a sh I don't know what the right word is. It's funny because we have people who work with us who've been in. Um, also, if that's their part of their story, and yeah. they just talk real quick. They're like, "Yeah, do a short, a short stint, do a bid." And I just, <laughs> I, 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 my yeah. story has nothing to do with that. So I was like, I don't know what that means, but yeah. you know, I guess whatever your time in in prison or incarceration would be. Yeah. So there's that component too. So it's really it's, it's endless. It's always growing, and we're always we're always looking to grow too. So yeah. it's, just, it's just whoever we can help the best possible way. Well, in, in growth, I, I hope to see it out on the West Coast someday. We talked a little, I think I'd asked you that last time. And so I know that there's, um, you know, who knows what the future holds in that aspect. Um, it's, do you find, I mean, it's kind of a dumb question, I think, but I would imagine that you find it extremely rewarding. And does it help your own recovery too? Um, yes. So it, what, it, what it did for, it is incredibly rewarding. And my first taste of it was I was working in a for-profit music education program in, in around the time I got sober. And there's always reward in sharing information with somebody who wants it. Yeah. But during that time, um, the founders of Road Recovery reached out to me. I was, and I was, it was like three months into my time working with this music school. And like, listen, we do this thing that your musicianship helps, but it's more about you being vulnerable and connecting. And as soon as I had my yeah. first day, in a, it was a group home for behaviorally... I don't know the right words. So I don't want to mess up the words, like whatever today's yeah. word is for. But like people have behavioral issues, I guess sure. would be, or just differences in behavior. And some of those group homes, those kids were in there and they weren't going anywhere for a while. Yeah. Um, I walked in, they, they told me there'd be equipment there, but that meant amplifiers, not guitars. So I had no guitar. 
and I had to stand in the middle of a room. I realized everybody wanted to dance or do rap, and that's what they said. What's your favorite music? Like, we love hip hop. We want to do yeah. a, a cypher. I'm like, great. I love playing drums. So I started kicking the floor, <laughs> clapping my hands until they were raw for 45 minutes because I had nothing else with Damn. me. And I came back. People were like, what was it like? I'm like, this was the best day ever. <laughs> it was just like, you're in, yeah. you're, you were in it. And everybody that's there, when they know that program's happening, they wanted to be there. So that's yeah. that, that, also that, not like your mom sends you to play soccer, but you hate soccer. Which sometimes happens with a music school. Yeah. Um, well, if so. so, and that's one of the things I I picked up on right when when you started to answer that was you said um, something about if if people want the help. So, how how do you how do you deal or how do you approach um, maybe somebody whether it's youth or, or maybe even uh, someone else in recovery when when they don't want the help, man? That's so hard, and I I get that question a lot. Like, oh. You know, my, my dad out there, my brother or, or your friend, whatever. It's like they don't want the help. And it's it's very frustrating. I've been in that in my own situation. How do you approach that? So with my own time in recovery, like learning how to suggest politely, be attractive, not um, yeah. don't advertise, don't push. We never push it. Also, the, the two founders, Gene Bowen and Jack Bookbinder, have been doing this way longer than I even been like way longer yeah. and th what they told me was and it's their advice and i try to apply it to my own way was be open be vulnerable and remember if you reach just one person mm. you've already changed you made a ripple yeah and through that we realize you make an impact it could be in, in inadvertent and as i've grown in sobriety and in my own life of, of like a kind of a service-based uh li life I realize now the people that made an impact that I didn't want to listen to myself. Mm. So when I work with newer uh, creative staff, as we call them, or mentors for, for the organization, I always remind everybody, do not be discouraged because I just sent a video, like, it was like last year, a video birthday card to my principal from seventh grade that turned 80 <laughs> no because way. me and some kid were screwing around and we broke a door and he spoke to us. He never treated us like we were doing something wrong. He said, listen, if you go help the shop teacher fix that door, because this is done yeah, and we're good. Yeah. And I didn't realize then what he was doing for me, mm -hmm. but he helped me become the person I am now. That's great. That's so, awesome, dude. And then I've heard people talk about drugs and alcohol five years before I thought I had a problem, but all of a sudden I felt like, ew, why does that hurt? Why do I feel your story? <laughs> but I didn't understand it. So yeah. we can make impacts without necessarily... Yeah. So I don't want to say subliminal because they use like subliminal messaging as a negative concept. Yeah. But I could say it's maybe it's like spiritually covert. As long as you do the right thing, <laughs> yeah. it's going to touch somebody. Well, and I, I, I love that too, because it kind of sets us up for a mindset of um, understanding that we're here and, and, and God gives us opportunities sometimes to plant seeds. We don't get to see the fruit of those seeds a lot of the time. And when we can be in that and just be aware of that, I guess it's a little bit easier when, um, you know, you run into someone and you, and you get that feeling like, man, well, I, I should have done this, or I should have said it like this, or I should like, we can't, it's not our responsibility to, to take that on and hold on to that. Like everyone has their own responsibility, you know, to do the work and, and they're on their own journey too. So yeah, that's, that's good yeah. stuff, man. Um, and that's important how you mentioned that too, because when people who do, have a form of faith that talks about charity and altruism. Yeah. The first, the first concept is you do it without the ex any expectation uh, yeah, of reward, exactly, or gra or anything. You're doing it because yep. you want to make you want to leave something better than you found it. Yep. Oftentimes, I've I've been able to give out food or things to people that were homeless, and nine out of ten times, sadly, they don't even know you're there. Mm -hmm. But you know sooner or later you're, you're still making a difference and that's yeah. kind of with recovery and service that we're also brought in that way so this is the same thing like we just do it yeah. and if we can make it do one way or another we're making a difference yep. we're not there for gratification we're there to help that's here. right the expectations man are just they, they will destroy you i swear man I, it's so many times every time i put expectations on stuff it never works out like I thought anyways you know what i mean so you just kind of learn mm -hmm. to be like all right i'm just gonna roll with it this time and whatever happens Guess it'll happen, man. So you've been sober since uh I think it's March twenty twelve, right? Is that right? March twenty twelve yes. or twenty twelve, yep, somewhere March twenty twelve. Um one of the things we were we got we got a few notes from when we chatted last week. We had a great talk, man. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. that, by the way, dude. That was that was yeah, cool. Was I felt awesome. like I felt like we had a meeting, like just two just two dudes and like we got to share some stuff and then talk <laughs> some recovery and life and it, it was re really good. Um so I got some notes from that, but I think before we kind of jump into some of that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, myself and I'm, uh, I know those out there listening to, uh, would probably love to hear a little bit about your background, man. I mean, you, you did half the time, um, as a professional musician, not sober, and then you had another good chunk of your career sober. And so what, I mean, can you kind of give us a, a, a little peek into what that looked like? So meaning like the being sober, not sober. So for me, I was, I joined a band that was already established when I was 26 years old. A lot of members used to come to the music store I worked at, and we, we were actually friends by that point. Like we already knew yeah. each other really pretty well. And there was a shot for me to join the band. And to clarify some things, even though I got to the point where I hit a bottom, I didn't really use heavily, heavily during. The band was a non-partying band. It was business oh, really? first, always. I don't think I was ever on stage intoxicated in that band when I was still using. It was mm. once the show was over, what I found to do for myself after was all bets were off. Because we had it, we had, and it wasn't, we didn't have rules. We had agreements with each other yeah. that if we have each other's back, that means we come on stage with a clear mind mm. to make sure that show was going well. And yes, yeah. there was times you're having a great show. It's a 15th show into the tour and maybe shots would come to the stage at the end for the people that maybe drank one shot every four yeah. months on the road. And then there was me after that show so i would be like well the first one really worked out well let's see how let's see how 19 more will do um so i was around really good responsible um influences and the the band leader is like a big brother to me he's a few years older than me not by much like when you get older in high school would have been like wow it's huge but in old adulthood it's like only a few years but years of experience that i never had i was still a small town kid this guy's already traveled the world by the time I joined his band. And he gave really good advice that I didn't necessarily fully listen to um, about you're going to get off stage, you're going to feel amazing, and you're going to want to chase it. Because I've always felt that excitement from playing. Like I feel the most normal on stage playing an instrument. Yeah. I feel like an alien in a 4,000-year-old body. Well, 4,000-year-old alien in this body, the other, say, 22 hours, whatever the length of a show was. <laughs> yeah. So drinking connected me to that feeling I needed. So that happened, you know, there were some moments where my drinking definitely made me cranky during sound checks because I was dealing with hangovers, you know, probably not a joy to be around the morning when we were traveling. There's, you know, everybody in the band at one point held my dreads um, when I had to like, you know, I'm open about it. I had to puke (laughs) on the side of the road and nobody made me feel bad about it. That's why we're we're family, even even me having stepped back. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold my dreads. Hold my dreads. That was a good joke. It's coming. That's yeah, all I cared about. I'm like not throwing off my dreads because you don't wash dreads every day. Like locks yeah. aren't something you can just like. Hey, let me just rinse yeah. them down. You know, and they were they were they were to my knees for a while, so they were very Damn. long. Um, anyway, yeah. so that moves along. But as the time went on and we weren't touring as much, my off time was really when the most um, damage would be done. And the last few years, we were we weren't on the road as much. I was using too much, and then it kind of within two years it became a real spiraled issue. Mm. Um, there were some things that came up during those years that were like first time faces for me. I say the first time you face something, we don't know how to deal with it. So like both my grandparents passed like two weeks apart. Um, and I was like trying to have like mature like relationships, but I was picking not, not the people I should have relationships with. So I was like with somebody that was a complete wreck and I just I let yeah. it affect me. I just was all over the place and it needed to stop. Yeah. The person that currently met me said, they looked at me, they go, something's wrong with you. And I was just starting a new relationship where they said, uh, this is not normal. Like, And what it is, is all the signs, if anybody connects themselves to alcoholism and the disease, it's like one's not enough, you know, and you just keep going. The You can't manage life without it. And if you choose not to do it, you're still unmanageable. Yeah. Um, and then all the selfish and all these behaviors that are connect with that, like the little things that should be important, like a cousin's christening, that's a pretty beautiful event, yeah. but I look for the bar. Mm-hmm. So that's, I just, I just destroyed that event. Even if no one saw me look for the bar and didn't do anything crazy, I destroyed the purity of enjoying the celebration of a new family member, yeah. you know, getting, uh, I guess, I guess my, that side of my family, they're Catholic. So a sacrament would be the word, yeah. but um, it, it's those little things. So around 2012, so I was in the band, I joined in 2003, 2012, enough was enough. I needed to stop. The amazing part about that was I found great people to help me. I experienced recovery, and then I was still doing my music. And in the beginning, there was a lot of, um, I let, you know, it was called spiritual armor, like the whole spiritual toolbox. I went out there like in the 
like the, the Iron Man suit of spiritual armor. Yeah. Like saying to myself, like, I, I want to do the right thing. I had nobody, like some people say, oh, my band parties a lot to be really hard to get sober. Well, this band doesn't. This band gets good food and jogs. Yeah. Um, and they're not like, you know, crazy, like, uh, like not, it's not like we always said, like, we're not like a straight edge either. Nothing against being straight edge. It's just, yeah. They're normal people. Yeah. And if you are straight edge, that's awesome. That's a, oh, yeah. that's a whole thing that's admirable to me. But yeah. there's a whole bunch of people that are normal. Like the mom that has one glass of wine at Christmas that never finishes it. Like my mom. I think she's been I, nursing the same glass for the last 17 years. How is that possible? I just it. don't get it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense. We I all know, know somebody. The that. fact I see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's weird. Um, it no, I love that though. Like, uh, like you're, you're talking about just, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a, a, a normal, a normal quote unquote normal life on the road. Um, getting some exercise, eating some good food, taking care. I mean, I would just kind of say that's extremely professional. It's a very professional approach to um, yep. your the work that you're doing. And then, but what you're saying is you were very professional during your work, but it's almost like a work hard, party hard type of mentality. So you would work hard, but then when you got done, then you would kind of go and you would just get, get after it. Is that pretty accurate? Light the town on fire. Yeah. yeah okay. Like light it up. And then <laughs> yeah. when you're 26, 27, and I was still in, I still did a lot of morning jogs or whatever we had to do. I was still in good physical condition. Yeah. The bounce back wasn't an issue, but then early thirties, I guess I was 33, 34. By that point, now bounce back is an issue. Yeah. And then I would have to do things. And there was a few times I'm not proud of it. Um, that, you know, I would have to like, this is an awful story, but I would, I would take a little bit of Coca-Cola and just put a little bit of beer into it and just do a quick, just yeah. to go back to normal. Wow. And by the time you have four glasses of water in you, I mean, this is disgusting. I hope yeah. I, I don't like saying it. Cause I feel like I'm teaching somebody a trick, <laughs> but that led yeah. me to <laughs> not being able to do anything. Yeah. So the, the idea was, but once I was sober, I had to go out there and really take my sobriety so seriously. And, you and just be comfortable with going to venues and saying, "Listen, um, I, I'm I'm a non-drinker. I just I uh, want to know: Is there a coffee machine in the place? Is there a way for I get coffee? You have any good recommendations?" Yeah. And I realized quickly on the road and in the music industry because we got a stigma for being partiers. <laughs> I wish the stigma in the music industry was all the people that are a normal and the other half that chose a different way. Because as soon as you go to your first after-show event as a sober person, you will spot at least half the room drinking water. Mm. Yeah, it's a huge it's place for recovery, yep. for open recovery. And then yep. when, you know, like, and it's everybody, once people get sober music, they're not embarrassed of it. It's like a weird, everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, you got to be a, screwed up to be a rock and roller. I'm like, actually, no, it's the easiest place to say, like, I need help. And all of a sudden yeah. people are like, oh, wow, we didn't know it was that bad. Go get help. Yeah. And then you could be the guy who drinks water and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I, I've, no, I've known people in my recovery program that will never tell people. They were, oh, I work on Wall Street because I live near, I live near New York City. So I'm really yeah. with that kind of person. And they said, like, yeah, we could never let people know at those dinners because they would say something. I'm like, they might not, but I appreciate and respect your stance on that. Yeah. I go, thankfully in music, it's just like, you can have whatever you want. So people at venues, super helpful. I found as soon as they would find out, I realized there's a lot of sober bartenders in this world, which later on actually became <laughs> yeah. at times. And they'd be like, oh, no, I got your back, man. I got your back. And also, like, one person literally put a Mr. Coffee, like, coffee pot uh -huh. on my road case and yeah. set me up with a coffee station. That's and, nice. like, now, and early sobriety is important. Yeah. I had snacks, I had everything I needed to never feel off, never tired, never hungry halt i guess never depressed whatever like yeah. the whole mix so, so it's I, tools i want to i want to point one thing out for those out there listening to in in just what static said right now um and sharing his experience like one of the things if you notice that he did there and and that a lot of us in recovery continue to do it's it's a really important part of it is whatever work you do whatever situation you're going into whatever life is throwing at you you got to be prepared you have to pregame like you're talking about a mad pregame session before every work, um, you know, gig, every events, whatever, whatever it is, you're already thinking ahead. You're talking to people. Hey, where's the good coffee spots at where you're setting yourself up for success. And it, it's not always an easy thing to do. It's not going to be perfect, but you have to have a pregame plan, whatever you're going into. Um, I love that, dude. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then the stuff that we learn in recovery programs, like find meetings locally, yeah. have people to call your, your, your bros in recovery. Like make sure you just, you know, I, I practice everything that was suggested to me. Now, the first year I did it, I was untreated. There's a part of my story where I was 11 months on my own yeah. and magically 
one of the other bands had like a, 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 a suit. I call him super sober dude. And I didn't know what, like he literally said to me, he goes, oh, you don't drink either. He's like, hey, you want to go to a meeting tomorrow? I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I'm into that. Oh, and he's wow. like, all right, cool. He would come back every day and give me a meeting. And I had no idea what was going on. Really? Checked in with me. When shows, like sometimes there's after show parties, a little wild. Yeah. We start talking. He's like, hey, man, I saw a taqueria. I was like, yes, let's go. Yeah. Like he he helped me also learn this. And then when I got back from that is when I found that there's a program. And I don't yeah. have to be alone anymore. But what? And once I had a program, it was like phones, lists, everything. Like you start getting, meetings everywhere. Yeah, like the tools you were saying are the armor. Like it starts coming. Yeah. That's kind of funny. So, so recovery program actually found you in a sense, which is kind of cool, actually. Um, a few ways. Yeah. yeah. It just came looking for me. What? Uh, so let's if we can back up just a little bit, like what, what did it for you? You said you did 11 months um, almost by yourself. Like was there a significant moment that helped? Because that's the question I, we get a lot too is like, man, how do I know if I have a problem or what? Well, if you're asking that, there's probably, you know, there might be some issues there, but how, how did you know, like, what did it at that final moment where you're like, I'm done with this? Well, what did the final moment was I was home. So I was on downtime and I was a spiral and I was a mess. And I had a bunch of rough nights. I was in a new relationship and this person's like, yo, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't think you were like this. This is serious. You need to figure this out. And that particular last night is like the classic, one of the many classic last nights we'll hear in the rooms. Like, thankfully, and I'm, this is, and I'll never forget this. Like, I didn't hurt anybody else, yeah. first and foremost. I didn't kill or hurt anybody else that night, but I did drive. I didn't hurt myself. I didn't get any car accidents. But my car was up on a curb by my house, looking not, looking parked like the worst possible parking you could not, you can imagine. And my trunk was open, which I haven't, I, to this day, it's like, I, <laughs> yeah. I just let that go. Like, the trunk's open. I had nothing in the trunk. Yeah. Um, and I looked out the window after having that conversation and I saw my car and I was like, well, no matter what, the irresponsibility that had me do that deserves a looking at. And I, and I can't, and then some people say, oh, you had one bad night, but no one said I had one bad night because that's not the first time it happened, but that's the last time it was going to happen. So then I just stopped yeah. thinking that's all I needed to do. Like, oh, I just don't drink anymore because I didn't know there was other things. And I was afraid to leave my house for like a month and a half besides like, physical job work or going to rehearse with the band and people are like where have you been man because i would like hang with a lot of local musicians we always had these like pop-up like when people come back from tour and stuff in the area like pop-up jams like whatever at like different bars and stuff like that i'm like i'm not going back and somebody's like where you been i'm like man i'm trying to dry out i don't want to drink yeah. anymore he's like i got a surprise for you please come out half that band was sober wow like see yeah we could all drink seltzer and play rock and roll together and it's like uh -oh. So I started to feel a little better. Then somebody sent, told me, they sent me like on YouTube, um, you know, for a 12 step recovery program. That's kind of well known. They, they sent uh, people talking about their alcoholism mm. on YouTube, like speak, they call them speaker tapes. Yeah. And they sent me like Eric Clapton. Mm. So I listened to it. Like, oh, it's cool. Like Eric Clapton's awesome, whatever. And then like Stevie Ray's was like right under it. You know, YouTube just keeps suggesting yeah. you to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. And it blew my mind. I felt just. Like I felt I related to him in every possible way, except for the virtuosity on the fretboard. <laughs> Forget that part. Uh, yeah. And I was just like, you know, that's, that's amazing. I, like I, I understand, like I want, what it made me say is I, I wanted not to ever go back yeah. to the way I was. And then I made a little playful thing with myself that I would get like the opening, uh, lick to um, scuttle button up to speed uh -huh. by the time I was at least one year without alcohol. No way. Because then it was still the without concept. Like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, a few months into that, uh, meeting people and they're talking about program and things. I'm like, okay. And I was still kind of like oddly reluctant. And then I was very fortunate. I had a good base of musician friends in Los Angeles. Some of the people you meet too, or yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. And this guy was like, I looked at him. I go, hey, man, I don't. I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling 100% squirrely right now, but sometimes I do. But I know I don't want to, I don't ever want to drink again. He's like, well, don't look at it that way. He's like, but let me send you some stuff. So he sent me some stuff to read. Huh. Just tell me how you feel. And he broke down to me that there is, in some forms of recovery, we really define clearly. Are you normal? Are you moderate? Yeah. Or are you really it? And it was like, and then a, a few months after that, I was with a bunch of those guys working in California and I made a, a, a comment I'm like, listen, man, I know you guys don't do this either. I kept saying, don't do this. Like, you don't drink. You don't drink. Like, like you uh -huh. lost something. Um, and they said, well, 
uh, I go, but like this commercial keeps coming on with beer on the TV and it makes me think I want it. They're like, you know, you, there's a place you could go and you're not, you're never alone. So I was flying home the next day. I went back to my hometown and I went into a place that helps people. And from that point on, I was all in. And then I realized I wasn't alone. I wasn't choosing, I wasn't not drinking. I it wasn't, I can't drink anymore. It was, I was choosing the new life. I was choosing to live. Yeah. Now I didn't have that way of delivering that like three weeks into even being after being 11 months untreated. Cause I was off the rails. My mind was a mess. And I realized the mental aspect of this is incredibly powerful. And for me, it was more damaging. I was verbally more damaging to people around me, not drinking. So I found the program, which was the day I chose to live. Simple as that life got better and so, it continues to get better. So, so, so good, man. And, um, you said a lot of things there. One thing that just like, punched me in the face right through the screen as you said you're not you you felt like you weren't alone anymore because like this shit can just isolate your mind your body your spirit it isolates you and makes you feel so alone like i'm the only one who's going through this right now how it did and then it's just like the domino effect that goes down and i think that's what i know for me in my experience what i've found is i've met so many awesome people like by getting sober you know what i mean it all started with that and although alcohol is obviously an issue in my life um it's really the tool that i use to cope with the shit in life that i can't deal with you know what i mean and so what mm -hmm. like when i start to get a general understanding of that by being around other people and like you said you heard somebody you heard um you know somebody share who you related to that's when stuff's kind of starts clicking in so I, I guess what i'm getting at is the community piece of this is so freaking important like you have to be around other people whether it's in zoom or in person or wherever it is uh, I mean, you've, you've probably met, how many great people have you met in recovery? Like over the years? I mean, it's probably endless. It, at this point, majority of the people I know are people I met in recovery. Yeah. Yep. Cause those relationships I still have my are real, real close, close friends. Yeah. But there's a whole new life I was given yeah. all friends, friends I made that never, ever saw me drink. Yeah. It's crazy. That I probably wouldn't have became friends with if I was drinking. Cause I would have walked right past them to go straight for the bar. Because <laughs> that's the most important thing at any event, a christening. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't oh, matter. You're it's not like, present. You're not present oh, yeah. for life at all. You're oh, in a right. race, a constant race for something that not gonna it's gonna make it worse. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So. It, it doesn't it doesn't stop either. So give us a little uh, give us a little look, man. Like what's uh what's life uh you know, what's life like today? Um I know you have your own studio. I know that you're still actively working like crazy man super involved um you know with road recovery and just doing the thing like so, like being sober is awesome <laughs> well yeah it, it's absolutely awesome and uh, and um it 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 helped me so it's no elephant what's a road there's an elephant in the room mm -hmm. there's no elephant in the room that most of us have been on some sort of yeah. lockdown yeah. Oh, yeah for over a year yeah so i was supposed to work in new york city on March 13th, me and one of my good friends in recovery who's part of Road Recovery. The other aspect to mention with Road Recovery real quick is the other people there are music industry professionals who've also dealt with this. Uh, so I was it. also surrounded by just like the wise men yeah, like and women. People have been there a long time. So you ne you're never alone there. So even in a work situation where work gets, could get stressful, you're with solution-based people that you just kind of go, all right, powwow. And you're boom, you're back into like, you're in a circle, yeah. familiar. We talk about it, <laughs> put our principles before our personalities, mm -hmm. and then off back to the solution. It's all solution, all power away. So anyway, um, we were supposed to go to New York and, you know, you get a call. And I was already in New York a bunch of days that week in March. And they were saying, I played, I backed up an artist, a friend of mine at the, the Birdland um, Jazz Club. I'd never been there before. And it was already like, the attendance was already gutted. There was like quarter to people, like people didn't even turn in their tickets, like that kind of gutted. Wow. Like it was a sold out show pretty much. And there's like nobody there. Damn. And we were like, oh, this is serious what they're talking about. Then we get a call. You cannot come to work today. They're closing down all the clubhouses. Clubhouses are where the young people go. It's kind of overseen by the state of New York. So they make decisions early on purpose, thankfully. Yeah. And they made the decision early. And the funny thing was the city was the Corona section of Queens. Oh, um, no you're like, huh. Um, so yeah. me and this older guy, um, uh, and I say older guy, not by age, even though he is older, it's that like he's been around a long time in the program. So we just said, uh, all right, I guess we're here because we're buddies. We live near each other. So he goes, I ah, put some coffee on. We started reading some literature of the program we're in. It gave me this feeling of like lifted me up and hope that like it did the first time I was ever in a meeting. And this is like eight years later now. Um, yeah. It was right after I celebrated eight years. And 
we basically just said, you know what, we'll get through this. He calls within two days. There's Zoom meetings. Um, my recovery at this point has me having a lease. That was a big one. I never lived anywhere. I was completely nomadic. So two years into this, when COVID hits, I'm already paying for rent. I have a lease in my name. I'm not crouch surfing. <laughs> Nothing against it. I mean, when I, I, would, I wouldn't change any of some of the stuff I did back then. Uh, I'm not shacking up with people. I'm not really thinking about a long-term relationship with. At this point, I'm living with the love of my life. I have a cat. <laughs> um, I have these these things that sound like that's normal stuff. Yeah. Not normal for me. I I take the filters out of those air conditioners. You know you're supposed to clean those. Yeah. I learned that five years into sobriety. Like oh, <laughs> that's why it's not supposed. To, you're supposed to see through this. Huh? So oh, I'm cleaning my filters. I'm doing my chores. I, I, I'm living a good relationship. I looked at the person I'm with because we're you know thankfully we're super functional. We try to keep ourselves accountable. And she's an actress, and that was, you know, we know Broadway got closed, the whole thing. Yeah. And we looked at each other and said, well, now we've already had three days together where we've been together the whole day, which is something we've always really enjoyed and want. Um, we're eating meals together. We're doing chores. Like, everything that yeah. we thought was a gift would solve this. So we basically blocked out the news. And this is not saying that bad stuff wasn't happening and people weren't getting sick. It's just that I'm not sick right now. Yeah. And we're going to block out the news because all they're going to tell us at this point is the same thing regurgitated. And if the zombies are actually going to come, we'll know anyway. I don't need the news. <laughs> you'll see the smoke. You'll hear the yeah. sirens, the helicopters. You'll, all the signs will be there. Um, let's be available to whoever needs us. Let's be available to our family. You know, we have older people in the family. If we got to do grocery runs, made sure we were open to that. And we started watching a lot of Jack Canfield, who's just really oh, inspiring. Yeah. She loves him. And then yeah. I went to see him speak like a month before this even happened with her and he was posting right at the gate. He goes, battle it with optimism, battle it with this. And yeah. then my buddy, Tommy, who I'm friends with, he's, he always says like, he goes, gratitude with attitude. Like we get like real aggressive <laughs> and we want to solve a problem. So we just put it out of our minds. We came up with things to do. We stayed busy. The organization went virtual in two weeks when every other organization was closed. So we were back to work by April 1st. That's awesome. And it wasn't a joke. It wasn't April Fool's Day for us. <laughs> and yeah. a year into this, I realized before uh, the closures that I wanted, my studio was building up and I really love playing, collaborating at this point. In my 40s, I said to myself, there's a point where I just really want to be able to play with lots of people. I love being in the same band the whole time I was there, super loyal about yeah. it. But there's a point where I just, I wanted to play with other people. I wanted to have time to make records with other people. And, and I love widgets. In sobriety, I learned how to play synthesizers and work with Pro Tools and Ableton and edit. Yeah. And that's part of my role of road recovery is teaching young kids how to make beats. Nice. And I'm like, I want to play with these knobs. So I was already saying I want to be like this, uh, I called it remote studio musician because I had all the gear. Yeah. I had always making all my samples. Like, this is how I do a hard rock miking and like doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. Maybe people will be into it. Yeah. And people weren't too quick yet. But then now everybody's home. So with the first month in, um, thankfully, people are sitting around a lot. You're getting those texts like, dude, I haven't talked to you in two years. What's it? How you been? And you start talking. He's like, I'm working on this song. You want to play some guitar? Sure. And there I am, my buddy Ravi, who's this, uh, he's like a renowned D drumming DJ, Ravi yeah. Drums or Ravi Chakodia from LA. He's like, playing this song, playing this song. So we're playing, I'm playing on these songs for him because we're just having a blast. Yeah. He lands the song in the whole Southern California um, graduation ceremony. Oh, no way. It's the backdrop that year. And him and the singer, um, Jeremy was incredible. They filmed it in Orange County, like on yeah. the beach, on the rocks. And I couldn't be there. And I was like, oh, it looks awesome. But it, obviously, I couldn't be there. Yeah. There's a little clip of me playing in my driveway because the sun's out. And you're like, that's not California. <laughs> like, is that a deer? Like, what's going on? But um, yeah. the point is, I was able to be a part of things. And people were being open and receptive. So just running with enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, Kira like, created a whole career of content writing for people in like marketing that out of nowhere so we're we're working and we're super happy um i hope during this time the people that found solutions and understand that remote work if you like it gives you your family Absolutely. it gives you time for other things that yes it's okay to be driven it's okay to be successful it's okay to want everything out of your career but there's a lot of stuff to be present for i never knew my neighbors and then i would talk to them from the driveway like when we were kids, like you and I are like the same age. You, we, if, depending on where you live, like you rode bikes, you knew your neighbors, you oh, talked yeah. to everybody. And now you just like drive to the store and ignored life. I know. So it was like sobriety made me more present to see there's beautiful trees around me. This kicked it back a notch where everybody else could go on the ride together and I could use the tools I already learned in sobriety, which is solution, being present, and one day at a time.
So good. And bro. here we are. Now I have a name for the studio and a website and a logo and <laughs> working with people, um, worked with a few bands already, uh, producing songs. And some people are remote. Some people we do safe distance situation, whatever works for everybody's own comfort level. I have enough yeah. space to create that. In the beginning, I was tracking vocals on my porch. <laughs> no I would I, like I would have the mic set up, everything that would come in. Uh-huh. I have the blankets up to bleed in, and we would just be like through the window, like "Hey, okay." And and... I was like, "Well, that worked out great." Here's your door. Here's yeah. my door. That's you know. legit, man. So yeah, I, I, it's the best year of my life in certain ways. So I, and I mean, damn, dude, I was trying to you, you, you said so much good stuff in there. I can't wait to go back Sorry. and listen. To, no, that's freaking Too great. Much coffee. Because I, because I had like it was like boom, boom, boom. Trying to remember everything. The, the first one. Jack Canfield, I had the pleasure and opportunity of having him on the podcast like when I a few years back, man. And I and I just remembered that when you said that, uh, my buddy Larry Hagner from the Good Dad Project helped hook that up. Um, and I think he had just put out his book. Um, I think it's the 30 day sobriety solution. And he had shared about his relationship with his son and and um, and going through some of those things. So that was really, 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 really cool. So I, I just that came to mind right there. He's He's, He's so great, special. Dude. Yeah, great, great dude. A um, lot of good things to say. Sounds like you guys read and listen to a lot of his stuff too, which is which is cool. Um, the other thing, man, I, I think that comes up in all of that is the ability to adjust, the ability to adapt, the ability to go through change and not um, lose it because it, it is easy to do that if we're not present and aware through that time. Um, and, you know, all of us, uh, you know, in this life have been thrown a lot of different things. I know our family is dealing with, with some of our own things, you know, with just the change and COVID stuff and everyone kind of has their own take on it. Um, but you said it so great about the re- the reality piece of it too. Like reality is what's in front of me, like my family, my friends, like what, and we talked a little bit about that last week, you know, like what is, um, you know, what does that look like for, for us, for our family? How can we help other people? We don't need to be blinded by this media pandemic is really what I like to call it. It's, uh, you know, and that's no disrespect to actual people who have gotten sick by any means, but like the media fear behind it all, man, it's, it's brutal if you let let it get to you. So we, we got to do what's right in front of us, I think, is is uh, is kind of what I'm trying to get at. It's incredibly important to be able to step aside of it. I, I you know, I'm not like, I'm not trying to say like, be all, you know, I hate the media, but I have the very mm. limited attention span and use for yeah. anything that brings anybody extra heightened level of fear of anxiety. Yep. This is not how we are supposed to be as living human beings and for and for the most part if even if you don't have a, a connected religion we are spiritual beings or at least solution beings yep. you know no but most people want something bigger and it, it doesn't help you know there's somebody yeah. i love once in a while to listen to you know he's not for everybody but he has a t-shirt that says it says media most effective devil in america <laughs> and that's pretty harsh and some people could be like that guy's a dick meeting me and possibly the guy who wrote the shirt but it, it kind of reminds you, just take the information you can. And if you hear information that clicks with you, go find it in a million ways. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't just listen to that one point of view because they've already proven they're polarized. We don't have a, cent- a central point of view. Yeah. A central point of view is if you ever listen to like science tapes with scientists, there's no emotion. Yeah. It's, it's science. facts. <laughs> you know, if you want to buy a car, you're going to look at one website to buy a car. If you want to buy a new microphone, you're going to watch one review on Sweetwater? Dude, I sit there no, for hours. You're going to look to... at all the reviews. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So um, that's how I take my news. And the thing is, again, they already told us you can't go anywhere. So what's going on with my family? Calling my sister. We all live near each other. What's mommy doing? She's not working now. Yep. Cool. Do you need me to drop off groceries? Or you got that? And then we live in a small town. There's like the, the local supermarket where you literally can't go in there without talking to people. Yeah. It's like they were putting up things where whoever wants to donate. And it wasn't like there was big donation structures. And if you could do that, you could always help somebody. Yeah. But our community banded together. Yeah, we all good. got on phone lists, like younger people that would shop for the elderly. Like that kind of. Yeah, like, it's awesome. Because that's what we're missing from this world a lot. And I think hopefully people take this as a lesson that that yeah. lady next door might need help or guy and be aware <clears throat> of them. We don't and we don't need to like. So here's 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 a line out of one of the books. God gave us brains to use and we have the ability as human beings to think and critically think and weigh out pros and cons and look at different opinions and different facts and different uh, things and then 
take that and base um, whatever research you did and thoughts you had, then then kind of form your own opinion on it. And I think I'm just trying to kind of piggyback on what you're saying. We don't have to look at one thing and that's not the mm-hmm. obvious truth because I only know what I've been told, number one. And I only know what I've experienced. Those are the two, what I've been told and what I've experienced. And if I go on my experience, it's probably going to be a little bit more accurate than what I've been told my whole life, regardless of what it is, you know? Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. One of the, so I want to, um, how are you on time right now, by the way? It's, it's I'm noon. fine. Okay. You look, like, you look like a force ghost right now though. You kind of got grayed out a little bit. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me see here. Oh, at first you were like super gray, like that episode of black mirror where they make people erase people. That's and now you're kind of, kind of, kind of glowing in like Obi-Wan. Huh? What's going on there? That's strange. Let's yeah, see here. Let's know. see if I can mess. Is it a lighting thing? That we got to put a filter on your voice now to go with the look. <laughs> <laughs> an alien filter let's see if i turn this off real quick if i turn the video off let's see if that helps at all huh strange i don't know in any case we we have audio so that's fine and at least i'm not mm-hmm. completely blanked out but um one of the questions i wanted to get a little bit more um i wanted you to dive a little bit deeper on if you don't mind was the, and this is just for our our homies and friends and those we don't know who may, whatever work you do, particularly maybe the entertainment industry, but any, any work I think this applies to, the difference between working sober and, and not being sober, like the level of... Um, the level of expertise that would, uh, you know, tend to come out more being sober versus not that was that a huge difference. And then caveat to that. I know I'm giving you like three questions here, but I think this is super important too. a lot of people think, including myself, when I went to treatment, cause I, I love playing some guitar and singing and writing some music too. I, I felt like at least I thought that I had lost the ability to be creative because I didn't have my tool of alcohol or drugs there to help with that. Was that a myth for you? That's a myth for me. Definitely. Um, uh, and I think because I had experiences, since we're answer, I'll answer in different orders, okay. I had experiences right away because that first month and a half, I told you, I hid in my house, Yeah. but I was practicing a lot of guitar. I was like, ah, I liked what Stevie Ray said. Let me learn a bunch of songs now. Like, I never really learned other people's <laughs> songs. I'm like digging into like, you know, let's, let's just pick one of the best guitar players on the planet and try to learn his licks. So I'm kind of going through that. And I remember going out to um, jam for the first time after a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And... It, it all I could say is like when I used to jam and I wasn't like, again in the band I was in we weren't on stage using but in when I would take other jobs like with local stuff and I was home of course I was partying and I would yeah. play and I would feel like there was either stumbles or I'd run out of ideas and and I like improvisational music a lot so it was an improv situation with this R&B and blues band and I remember just going and then after like that term that kind of comes around in the music, it's either 16 bars, you know, measures worth of in blues. So you get a 16 bar solo yeah. band leader thinks you're cooking. They give you the nod. <laughs> and it, it, it kind of keep it. And the guy kept giving me the nod because oh, I, I was apparently or telling a story and I was in the moment and it felt like it was just all coming out of me, direct connection. And I always had that connection in the band I was in, but I never necessarily had it outside. And then I, then it made sense. We never drank on stage. Yeah. And we were super rehearsed and super focused. We were, but when I was out on other situations, if I was using, it was like, ah, let me blaze through this and whatever. And I started feeling things locking in. I started noticing the subtleties of time manipulation or who's dropping the ball, who's sliding yeah. in the wrong note, like things. And when I was, and even when I wasn't using in the band on stage, my lethargy for maybe drinking too much or being a little off because you're still in fog. If you're not, yeah. if you drink a lot and you don't drink on stage, you're still fogged out in my, my opinion, from my experience. Yeah. And I would either have a superstar night and then followed by the worst night. And then sobriety to me in my profession, which I think has served lots of professions was, I was consistent. Yeah. I was reliable. So I would just, yeah. ha- I would do my job because my job is not to show off. You know, and, and I'm not the focus of it. I, it's important to support the band as a whole. It's a power of we thing. A band is a unit. Um, and I di- I played consistently. And then you still have those moments where like, oh, we really got it. But you know what went away? There were none of these. There were none of like, oh, my bads. They were all going away. Yeah. They were all just sitting like, you have a really good solid show. The audience had a great experience. And then every once in a while, like you, 
it kind of like lit, you got it. You, you went to the sky and pulled in that extra thing that just like you have like an, a woe moment. And yeah. I'm not even sure if the audience had the woe moment. It's that you, but yeah. I felt more and more connected and I got more and more connected. But there was other things I did. There's breathing, all these different ways to change your perspective, eating well, good food, good coffee, eating right for the, yeah. the performance. Um, if the stage backstage was stressful, like not, not again, it's not with the band, but any kind of situations going on, I would try to practice like breathing myself down and just start, start surrounding myself in different colors of light in my head mm -hmm. and try to draw silence in a rock venue. And I would get myself to the point wow. where I was hearing nothing and I was just talking myself in. I used every possible Damn, that's way crazy. I could that's loud. to like level. It's a loud environment to completely be able to block out in that moment. I guess it's a yeah. testament to the power of the, the mind. I found out what the camera thing was about to, I think it's my hot ass breath or something was like blowing on the camera. And so all I took, I literally took my thumb and I just wiped it across and then <laughs> there it looked a little better now. So talk about fog. Um, I, yeah, I was, exactly. You, you, were, you were illustrating what I was saying. Dude, we're in a fog. You're like, fog. how crazy is that? It literally happened as you were talking about it. There's that fog <clears> again. <throat> yeah. So that's pretty much the balance. Like in, in a professional life in short is consistency, reliability, you're accountable. Yeah. People rely on you. And you are more than just your role. Mm. Now you're is super solid, possibly cheery guy three hours before. That's like, hey, we need some help doing something. Or do you mind going to like, you know, we have a guest musician showing up from here. Can you can you drive the van over to get like yeah. you just become a functioning member of society. <laughs> yeah. You get opposed a to like spending half your day trying to kick <laughs> a hangover, like or whatever yeah. it is. No more so. wasted time. I love it. And in time to be useful. And yeah. then one time, a, a person who was advising me or was close to me in my, my program, the first time I went on tour with the program, he said, remember, be useful and not self-important. Because mm -hmm. I was going out there with barely months. Yeah. And so he said, be useful, be, be self-important. Remind yourself to be useful, which is like, so instead of saying to the sound guy what I need, I'm going to introduce myself to the sound guy because he's yeah. a human being. He's not just a sound guy. Yeah. You, know, you know, the whole musician sound guy relationship is never always good. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make it good. Yeah. And, you know, and, this, and introduce myself and say, this is what we do. Um, if you need anything, I said to them, like, I'm a stagehand at home. I'm here to help. That's good, Because previously, I would say, I'm a sound guy. Ah. I was creating already a competition. I don't want his job. I yeah. like my job better. I like being in the band. So I'm a stagehand at home, yeah. meaning I'm the guy who assists sound guys at home. Smart. So whatever you need, I'm here to help you. Yeah. Before that, you're like the best friend of the night. He's ready to do anything. Well, and, th and that's what you want, right? You, of course, you want the sound guy to be your best friend because he does the sound or she does the sound, whatever, you know? And yeah. that's, uh, that, I think that attitude too of service, it just, uh, it helps everything. And we also get to find out, um, real, real relationships in that, in that type of setting. I think you mentioned it a while back. You said you still have your your close friends and stuff that you um, have known forever, and same same thing with me. I got you know quite a few good homies that were just super tight, and we've known forever. I still talk to these guys, um, and then you know a lot of those acquaintances, uh, you know, I don't talk to those people as much as more because those relationships they all revolved around alcohol or 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 partying or stuff and it doesn't make them yeah. bad people or them any worse than me or anything like that there's just nothing in common there anymore and so mm -hmm. the relationships now that i've met you know people in recovery and even my relationships with my old homies are so much stronger and better now today and it's such a gift man it, it really is that's beautiful and that's perspective yeah. That's something that sobriety yeah. really showed me is perspective like the whole thing that's with the christening it's like we look at things for like, oh, I used to party with them, or that's a great drinking event. And then you realize perspective says, no, that's a wedding. That's watching people get married. <laughs> yeah. You turned it into a drinking event. Yeah. Or And then the cool thing, what you mentioned, which I agree everything is, there was a few acquaintances that I didn't have necessarily from partying, but I never really, that, that, that leveled up. Mm. Because maybe I was just like a quick, hey, what's going on, kind of in a fog, because I partied too much, and they yeah. were responsible and maybe like would jam a few tunes and go home to their family, that I saw relationships build, a few relationships that actually leveled up. 
wow. with people that were acquaintances that I never got deep enough with that turned out to be like super cool, solid human beings that I have a whole new thing in common with. And then you find out, oh, you do charity work? I want to do charity work. And it's like life just, there's a whole bunch of normal people yeah. out there that's, that also live in service. Yeah. And they start, cool. you start attracting those kind of people. Yep. It's that attraction rather than promotion. I dig it. Uh -huh. Um well, good stuff, man. I don't, uh, let, let's, uh, let's, let's start to wrap this thing up, dude. It's sure. been really great to have you on the podcast, dude. I can't wait to share this conversation and your, your story insight, um, with everybody out there who listens to the podcast. Um, I guess, uh, if we, if we were to kind of kick it off with like, or, or send us off, I guess with your thoughts, any advice, um, any experience that you want to share right now with someone out there who's, who's struggling, man, they're trying to figure it out. Um, you know, they're kind of lost, they're feeling alone. Um, you know, what, what would you say to someone out there? Uh, you know, if you could encourage them and give them a little bit of a hope. If somebody is truly looking for something different or something's not working for you the way you're doing it, change is actually a good thing. <laughs> um, and it's, and remember you're not alone. We're all here for you. Um, most programs of recovery, the biggest thing they say is we have to go help somebody else. And yeah. it's not, nobody's an expert. Nobody's a teacher. Like I can never tell my doctor the truth, but I could tell everybody in my recovery program once I became open to it, the truth, because nobody's judging you. And there's no stigmas. There's no judgment in recovery because everybody shares the exact same affliction and story and just try. And with Zoom, way easier to check it out. Oh, yeah. And another, uh, which I didn't have, is like a sample platter. Um, people that use Clubhouse, they have a few sober environments on Clubhouse for sober curious. So it's like open hmm. sobriety of different, um, some people, not not every program is for everybody. I appreciate that. I understand. I know it works for me. Um, but they, we all kind of come together and people share their, their stories, which is how it works and maybe relate, but it's open to the sober curious, which are the people that want to change, but they don't know how to. And sometimes walking into a traditional recovery meeting, and that's for people who want to change in life. I was fortunate. I was never physically addicted to anything, but if you have a deep affliction, there is, there's places to go for help. Just try it. You yeah. don't lose anything by getting sober. You actually gain all the things you actually can never have. Oh, that's good. That's good, dude. Good stuff, man. Um, where can folks reach out to you, find more information on uh, Road Recovery, uh, Instagram? And I'll make sure I put all these links in the show notes for anyone if you want to check them out. So I'll get you. It reminds me, I got to get you all the links. So for me, I'm, I, I'm best found on Instagram. Um, I have static is noise. I'll send you the thing for that. I do have one for the studio, the noise room, yada, yada, but I have a website for that. I'll get you that. But the, the static is noise is my Instagram that deals with either music and sobriety and roadrecovery.org is their um, handle for the interwebs and there um i'm gonna look up I'll, I'll send it to you but it's it's I, i'm not so sure I, if it's like a road recovery underscore but they have an instagram as well oh, okay. um okay and we we do we do use that but yeah i'm on and if, if they want to know more about road recovery i'm a perfect i could you know if you find me Rich. first you're gonna get yeah. to road recovery because okay. i'm that's another thing i learned in recovery was i don't have to be the hero i just gotta be the guy who holds the door and puts the light on <laughs> that's good dude because I might not be equipped to help you. So I'm not yeah. going to, it's like, Hey, I need to fix my car. It's like, I ain't going to fix it, but I know a mechanic. Dude, you know? doesn't that, it, it, that, that is so good though, too, because it alleviates all the strength, especially as men, we feel like we have to have all the answers for everything. We, I, I'll fix it. I can, I can do it. It's like, nah, I, there's, there's shit that I'm good at and there's shit that I'm not good at, but I might know somebody. I love that dude. That's good stuff. Takes the pressure off a little bit. And I have the links, by the way. I didn't want to interrupt you. I think I have them already. RoadRecovery.org, TheNoiseRoomStudio.com, and then uh, at StaticIsNoise on Instagram. And then I think mm -hmm. I, I'll put the uh, Road Recovery uh, handle in here also. Yeah, out of all the social medias, I'm probably the most <clears throat> active with Instagram. I, I just, yeah. It's a little lighter. I mean, it could get heavy, but it's just... It's like yeah. fun pleasantries. And when you have all people you know, like you're on there and like yeah. all the people we bro down with and yep. it's just like, hey, great. And when it's you're fun. sober, you celebrate life. So if people are sharing like their kid's third birthday as a sober guy, like I'm like, that's the coolest thing ever. Do I have kids? No. Do I plan on it? Not really sure. But I love the fact <laughs> that you're enjoying your family. And yeah. I couldn't have done that. Not so good. 
I almost yeah. feel like uh, we should title this podcast episode that when you're sober, you celebrate life. That's such a good, uh, good in one. other like people's that. lives, not only yeah. yours. Like, yeah, yeah, you celebrate life. I guess. Yeah, yeah, Correct. that's good, dude. That's good. Well, right on, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to come out. I appreciate you, dude. And uh, it's it's been great to get to know you a bit. And I'm looking forward to continuing that friendship along the way, man. Amazing. I'm always here. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks for tuning in today. I uh, hope something spoke to you. Uh, all the links that we talked about today will be in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. Um, and uh, share the podcast with a friend. Love you guys. Check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.